Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode seven of the EdTech Distilled Podcast. Uh, we are still rolling, and with me, uh, my name is Adam Geisen. With me, as always, is David Lurch. Hello there. I changed it up today. <laughs> that that was that was great. Um, so I felt like it was a drive time thing. Yeah. You know, like I was the I was like your sidekick. You know, you need some echo. Like a Sunday, Sunday, Sunday type. We could do that. We're giving away tickets later, guys. So call in now. (laughs) Uh, We are excited. Today we are talking about no more one size fits all PD. Mm -hmm. And our guest today is Alex Valencic. So Alex, say hey. Hey, everyone. We are super excited to have you with us tonight. Um, I know Dave and I are both uh, heavily involved in our school district's PD. We've been doing it for a long time. And I know you Mm -hmm. are too, Alex. So we're pumped to talk to you about the uh, creative things you're doing. Um, So thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, it's our pleasure. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're going to get to you in just a second. So hold your horses. But uh, (laughs) before we jump in there, we are uh, we're going to talk about a few things that are new, things that have sort of popped up, uh, what's new and what's interesting. Um, And the first thing that I got on my list is something that I happen to see in this email that I get um, from a guy. I don't know who he is. He's like a programmer or developer or something. He always sends out like really interesting stuff. And one thing that popped up is this website. It's called Travel Remotely uh, by a guy named John Ornelas. Um, So basically what this website is, it is super simple. And the link is going to be in the show notes. Uh, But basically you click on this link and you go to this website. And from there you can choose uh, multiple cities. There's all sorts. I'm going to pull it up really quickly so we can look at it. Um, Well, I can look at it and you guys can just listen Um, in your minds. Yeah. So basically you choose a city and it uh, like Bangkok, Chicago, New Delhi, Hong Kong, Istanbul, Las Vegas, London. And basically as this guy goes on vacation, he like GoPros and videotapes. And so you can choose the nighttime, the daytime. You can listen to local radio stations. You can walk through it. You can ride a train. You can do it. Uh, turn on street noise, turn off street noise. I mean, it is fascinating. And I've I sat here for like two hours the other night, just kind of like walking through New Orleans and walking through New York City and Stockholm. I mean, super super cool. So anyway, uh, just a really great way to kill time uh, and sort of explore the world remotely. So that was my first thing. Uh, that That's was super cool. Fun. That's very it cool. Is, it is super cool. It sounds and like I'm, a be- beefed up like uh, like like Google Maps or Google Earth. It is. It's kind of yeah. like a Street View type situation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very cool. So anyway, you guys are going to all have to check that out. Uh, again, like I said, the link will be in the show notes, uh, but worth spending a little bit of time on. Second thing I've got is a Google thing. Um, and I like to sort of see what Google does aside from like product updates, but the kinds of things that they, they get provide funding for. Um, and one of the things that I thought was really cool is a new online platform. It's called the Byline Project. Uh, which was this, this isn't actually a Google product, but it was supported by Google. It received the Google News Initiative um, Innovation Challenge, uh, was kind of the winner of that. Um, I don't know how to say if it's a competition, but they received that. Uh, and basically, the Byline Project is a website and online platform uh, where people who are journalists in areas that are either marginalized or um, local can pitch stories to big news outlets and then get paid to produce those stories. So like, you know, somebody living out, uh, you know, I don't know, in Central America has an interesting story, they can pitch it to the New York Times, and New York Times can then pay them and publish that story. So it's a great way to get, and I kind of had a journalism background, so that's kind of piqued my um, interest, but I thought it was a really great way uh, to sort of spread 
the coverage. We don't all, especially in the the world that the world, the situation that the world is in now, wanting to sort of expand and and see the world outside of our little, you know, small um, mm -hmm. viewpoints. Uh, this is a great way to spread that. So I thought that was really cool too. In the again in the link. Uh, in the show notes is is a link to information about that and um, and what it's doing and how it's working. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, the uh, I have two updates here. The first one is Google related, and Google is beefing up their contact experience. So before we all use Google Contacts to look up email addresses, and if you're on that admin side of things, you can hop in there and just see you know names and email addresses. It's kind of limited to that. Uh, to to kind of go with what Microsoft is attempting to do to make their tools more business friendly, Google's doing something similar. And so what you'll be able to do in contacts now is uh, you can see a much more detailed profile of people that are within your domain or that you've interacted with. So it'll show things like management chain, the department they're in, what their job title is, their name, uh, a picture of them. And it will also show a history of your workspace relationship with them. So it will show uh, links to meetings that you had, dates that you had those meetings. Um, it will have links to email conversations that you had Whoa. as well. Yeah, I think that sounds really cool and a really neat update. Uh, and it is on rapid release. Uh, and it is, it is being uh, released relatively quickly within the next few months. So be on the lookout for that. And the thing I like with that is I feel like contacts is totally overlooked, especially in the education world. I just don't think people use it because if you plug into your, uh, you know, your email address bar, you just type in somebody's name, that email right. pops up. But this kind of gives you a little bit more exposure and in-depth uh, into your relationship with those people. And it can help you find things a little quicker too, which I think sounds really cool. Yeah, that is cool. Uh, I know. And, and, Context oh, has always been like hard to find. Yeah. In the right. old Gmail, it was up in the top. Like if you mm -hmm. clicked on mail and then it was a drop down. Right. Um, but I don't know. People are like, how do you find contacts? Well, everything in Google is con it's dot google.com. So contact.google.com right. gets you there. Right. Right. Uh, and then the other thing I had, this was just a little tech news, but uh, apparently from billboard.com, a lot of uh, record companies are talking about this idea that instead of them putting out uh, artists that are in reality, they're going to start putting out virtual artists. So they want to start creating an experience for listeners and for fans where they are being exposed to avatars and virtual simulations of performers and artists rather than actually seeing somebody. So then in a tour setting, you would see like holograms or special effects shows or things like that. It's a, we'll, we'll put the article in the show notes. It's a pretty gnarly idea. And as somebody who's definitely old school, who likes to actually go see like Wilco play at the mm -hmm. Fox theater, um, this is very unique. And mm -hmm. when I was telling my wife and my daughter about this, my daughter's a big, uh, she's a big anime and uh, manga fan. She's big into Japanese culture, kawaii culture. And when I mentioned this, my daughter's first thing was she said, uh, similar to somebody named Hatsune Miku, who is a performer in Japan. It's the exact same thing. It's a digitized av avatar performer. Uh, she's been around for like 15, 20 years. Interesting. Hit songs. Like she's was involved in the Olympics. Like, I mean, but she is literally exists in cyberspace. Like she's and not a real person. She's not a real person. It's a digitized voice and everything. Whoa. And, and that's I guess weird. Record labels are <laughs> saying, you know, it's easier for them to make that multimedia experience with a virtual creation like that, which at first I was like, okay, nah, that's never going to work. But then, if you have any kids who play Fortnite, 
the last two years they have done in Fortnite concerts where bands or musicians have performed and there's been millions of kids logging in to watch those in Fortnite. So, I mean, I think it's already happening. I just think that we're all catching up with that. That's crazy. I really is. Okay. We'll just have to go with it because I'm, I'm having a hard time. You just said gnarly a little bit ago. I'm like, yeah. there's no way this guy's going to get on board. He's stuck in the nineties. <laughs> I am radical dude. Right. Um, but Far all out. I, is that all I think that's yeah. All of it's terrible. I, uh, it, all it makes me think of the, uh, is the gorillas. They, you know, they, they reference the gorillas in the, do article. they? Yeah. They okay. Do. So that's what I was thinking of. Cause that's all, they were all animated, but like they were real people. Right. But they were animated. And it talks about how in, in a pandemic like this, a bands can still exist and tour. Because if they're just existing solely in cyberspace, then if you want to see a band pop on and perform, you could do that. I don't know what I think about it. Like I said, it is pretty gnarly, bro. Uh -huh. But <laughs> it is, I don't know what I think because I know uh, I'd have to it's see very, it. it's very different. And we might all sound like old men right now, right. but uh, it's, it's definitely something that it's at least kind of a, a cool idea. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not writing it off. Sure. I'm just saying, not sure I'd buy a ticket yet. I'd have yet. to see it. Yeah. Who knows? That's weird, but cool and different. So the last thing we've got um, is, and there's big announcements um, just this week mm -hmm. on the Flipgrid Live 2021. Mm -hmm. They announced some big time updates to Flipgrid. Alex, are you a Flipgrid user? I am not. Uh, several teachers in my district have been using yeah. it, and then mm -hmm. they stopped using it because of the whole to-do of some security things that happened yeah. in Illinois a while ago, and now I think they're starting to creep back into using it. Yeah, yeah and they really addressed that, too. They spent mm -hmm. a little bit of time in that announcement talking about the safety and security, and I was wondering if they were going to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so there was that weird snafu, and I think a lot of teachers were sort of turned off. But luckily, it didn't. It didn't. I don't think it hit it as hard as it probably could have. Um, and now these updates, I think are, are going to be a pretty big deal. Um, so a couple things, what was your, what were some of your, your highlights from this Dave? Well, so I, I love Flipgrid. It's, it's my favorite, um, tech tool to use. And in the position I'm in, I don't interact with kids on a day-to-day -day basis as a teacher. I'm in a coaching position. And then I also do some after school programs with students as well. So these, this ends up being a tool that allows us to still interact. The one I'm most excited for is the lens. Uh, and yeah. the the music and background options. Mm -hmm. So just including that integration, um, I think Adam nailed it off uh, off our recording. Before we got on, he compared it to like an educational Snapchat. Yep. And I, I really do think that is what it's going to look like. And I could see kids really responding well to that, especially with the backgrounds. I think depending on where you're from, a lot of times if you give kids, it's okay to get them on Meet or Zoom, but they can't control what's going on behind them and in their house. Right. But I think if you give them a tool where they can control that a little bit more, I think it gives them some confidence uh, to use these tools. So I really like those and it gives them some creative options as well. Uh, what yeah. about you, Adam? What'd you like? You know, one of my favorite things, and you, you kind of mentioned it with the backgrounds. One of the things I love is that you can change like where, so you put in a fake background. It's kind of like meet and zoom where it'll mm -hmm. take your background out and replace it with something else. Um, but, and they said that you can go with like the things that are already built in. They've got like pretty backgrounds, but mm -hmm. you can also upload your own content. Yeah. And that's so, super cool. yeah. So that really gives kids like they can put together a short video. And then once they're in the background, you can change the position of your person. So then you like your head and shoulders 
gets moved to like up the bottom excuse me the bottom right corner the bottom left corner and so then you become almost like you know like you're on twitch like you're presenting yeah. you know or they're watching you play a game or you could be on the screen while presenting a slideshow or i mean there's there seems like there's so much potential to that uh in a nice like easy to edit easy to record yeah. application which i think is great for kids and teachers yeah, it really is and it's not hard. I feel like all these ed tech tools, there, there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve for that. I mean, it's Absolutely. just how it is, right? But I feel like Flipgrid is pretty easy to use for the most part. And and I feel like a lot of uh, teachers that I've kind of shown that to really can just hop in and do their thing. Or honestly, if you just create something, kids can kind of do their thing with it too. So, yeah. And uh, the Flipgrid Live, the whole thing is on YouTube right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll throw we can, a link. I was going to say, we can put that in the show notes because that yep. it is worth, and it's only about 45 minutes, you know, which was. And most uh, of it's the countdown. Like it's really only <laughs> about 30 minutes long. And I mean, they pack a lot into that. That it was, yeah. it was, uh, it was exceptionally well done. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. Um, and their video production is just phenomenal. It really I just is. think it was really, really entertaining. All right. So updates. Uh, that is pretty much it for this week. I mean, at least stuff that we found interesting. I'm sure there's stuff we missed, but you know, it's not our job to find everything, just the stuff we like. That's right. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so we're going to jump in and talk to Alex here. So, uh, again, the whole, uh, focus of this conversation today is really about the idea of, of one size fits all professional development, which has been the standard for decades and decades where every right. teacher sits down in a row and slideshow. Yeah. Slideshow and somebody stands mm -hmm. up front and talks for 30 minutes and then you get, you know, a professional development unit. Lots of bitmojis, lots of right. bitmojis in there. Oh man, mm -hmm. you're not kidding. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I won't be unhappy when that uh, phase gets out of, uh, out of production, but either way, they are kind of cute every now and again. I'm actually so, thinking about making my avatar a bitmoji that just travels around and talks for me. Oh, that would be perfect. Then you can just be, right. Then you can right. record music and and I just have my thumbs up like this, <laughs> saying radical. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we're getting out of that vein. And Alex, you have done some pretty cool things in your uh, school district, and we saw you mention it on. Um, Twitter, we've seen you in conferences around, so we're excited to have you on. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you're at now. Yeah, so again, so my name is Alex Valencic, and it's like I grew up in central Illinois and pretty much lived in central Illinois my entire life until the job I got now up in northwestern Illinois. Uh, I was one of those people who I knew when I was 10 years old, I wanted to go into education and I knew very specifically that I wanted to teach fourth grade. Wow. And like I, I made that my goal in life. And then about my early twenties, I was talking to a friend. He was a halftime classroom teacher, halftime administrator. And he was like, Alex, you're going to be an administrator one day. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm going to like <laughs> teach fourth grade. I'm going to do it until I die. And he goes, no, you're going to be an administrator. Just accept it change your life plans and you need to start focusing more on leadership and that i started like really paying attention to school administrators i saw around me when i started working professionally mm -hmm. i was a substitute teacher for three years which i absolutely loved doing that and i've always said that if a school district would offer like a full-time position with all the benefits to be a substitute teacher that would have been the job for me where it's just every really? day they just I, I just show up somewhere and they say, all right, here's where you're working today. And you work wow. full time doing that. 
but I got to see a lot of different educators, saw a lot of different school systems. But after three years of doing that, I was like, you know, could really use some health insurance. So right. <laughs> I, I was able to get a full-time job teaching in Urbana, Illinois. And I taught fourth grade. It was my first full-time job. And I was like, life goal achieved. Right. Yeah. Awesome. What do I do next? Okay. So after seven years, I was able to get my master's in educational administration Spent two years applying for literally every single admin job in the state of Illinois that I could apply for. <laughs> Had lots of interviews. Yeah. And every single time they're like, man, you interview amazing. Like you just, you're an amazing candidate. But we had someone in our district who applied who had some prior admin experience or mm. they taught special education. We were looking for that. So every time it'd be like, okay, what can I change? And they're like, honestly, absolutely nothing. Like there's nothing you could do to make yourself a better, more viable candidate. Mm. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll keep looking. Right. And one summer there was a job position in Freeport, Illinois for a 21st century teaching and learning coordinator. I started filling out the application and part of it included a video submission they wanted me to do. And I was just like, I do not have time to do that. I've got like 30 other applications, copy, <laughs> right. paste, submit. <laughs> don't have time for a video so i'm like nope not even doing that one so i just closed it out i apparently filled out enough of the application that is saved in their system so they called me up and said hey we saw you were interested you didn't finish the application but <laughs> do you want an interview we can do an interview tomorrow morning i was like i'm in the middle of a summer workshop like i can't just like travel and they're right. like oh that's okay we'll just do it over like you know skype and it's mm -hmm. like Okay. Uh, point of order. I'm going to be in a summer workshop. There's no way I'm putting on like my suit and tie right, right, in the right. middle of a workshop. And they're right. like, it's the summer. Nobody cares. So I interviewed for that job over Skype wearing a t-shirt. I think I like threw a button down shirt on over and they called me the next morning. And we're like, we want you here. Like we want you to do this job. So I was like, all right, cool. My wife and I, we moved away from central Illinois. Both of us had lived there our whole lives, had no idea where Freeport was, drove up to Freeport the first time. We're like, oh, we should probably find a house here, which turned out to be something really important because I get this job. We moved to Freeport on August 6th of this year I started. August 7th, I was leading professional development on project-based learning with a group of 35 teachers in the district. Holy cow. And well, they just jumped through you right in there. Yeah. Like I was like, or I guess we moved August 4th. That was the Saturday. I started working on Monday and that Tuesday, like, all right, you're doing this like PBL training. It's like, oh, okay. Introduced <laughs> myself wow. to the teachers. And one of the teachers, he was like, hey, Alex, we can tell you're a nice guy, but you're the third person in three years to do this job. Mm -hmm. Everybody in this room knows you just came here to get one year of a district level position. So you can go become a principal somewhere else. We all know you're leaving. So why should we listen to you? And I looked at him and I said, well, my wife and I just bought a house. that's like three blocks away from here. And I don't think we're going to like move out of that house in a year. And he's like, you bought a house in Freeport. I was like, yeah, why wouldn't I? This is where I work now. <laughs> and so that really kind of helped this journey of coming up to the Freeport school district, where it's like, Hey, I am here to be part of the Freeport pretzel community. We are mm -hmm. the pretzels. It's something of one of our things is once a pretzel, always a pretzel. And I fully embraced that. <laughs> I came into this job, 21st century teaching and learning. 
nobody knew what the job actually was because three people in three years had done it. They're right. like, we have a job description, but you, you do something. Uh, here's a document that has like 400 links in it. Go figure it out. Half, <laughs> of, half of them were dead links that didn't go to anything. So I was like, okay, I get to recreate this position. And one of the things for me was, it's like, okay, if we're talking about 21st century teaching and learning, we're in the you know second decade of the century and we still have teachers out there who think we're in the 19th century. Right. We need some professional learning that's gonna get us where we need to be. And I remember very early on in my job, I asked, I said, hey, do we offer like PD outside of school hours? Like we have our district institute days, but what else? And someone, I don't remember who it was. So it's not that I'm trying to like protect someone. I honestly don't remember who it was. Said, <laughs> sure. they, they said, oh, we don't offer PD outside of contract hours because teachers don't come to it. And it's like, how are people supposed to come to something that we don't offer? Like, <laughs> I was just like, yeah. I was dumbfounded by this. Like, we don't do it because they don't come to it. Of course they don't come to it. We don't offer it. The chicken so or the egg. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we were, we were just doing that. And I was like, all right, well, let's not make too many ways. My first year in the job, right. I'll, I'll focus right. on this one thing and then kind of keep bringing it up every now and then. And that's what, uh, over this past school year, my job title actually changed from being the 21st century teaching and learning coordinator to the professional learning coordinator, which is kind of where I'm at now in that right. journey of starting from a 10 year old who wanted to teach fourth grade until the day he literally dropped over dead in the middle of a classroom <laughs> to planning professional learning for a relatively large, somewhat urban school district. Yeah. Yeah. I see that's right outside of Chicago. Um, so you went from Champaign, the Champaign Urbana area to, well, I guess it's not right outside of Chicago. I mean, it's, it's pretty far West, but, uh, looks like a cool place. I, I looked it up on Google maps just to see where we were talking about. Um, but it looks great. So, I mean, that's, that's quite a journey. And I definitely am impressed by a couple things. First of all, that you knew you wanted to be a teacher at the age of 10. Absolutely. That's, that is really something. And then the second thing that you wanted to be a sub like that, I also think is fascinating. Because I think people who are teachers, and I, I personally didn't like, I didn't like not being at school because I didn't like leaving plans for subs. Right. But I, and I definitely didn't want to be a sub. But I think my wife was a sub for a long time, um, for the first like six or seven years. And she did like full time subs, kind of like what you were talking about. She would sub for people on maternity leave and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And she did. She taught all sorts of stuff and she made great relationships with kids, she still runs into kids today that, or like, oh, you sub for PE that one time, you know, and she like remembers them. So I think it, the impact is still there, which I think is really, uh, that's commendable to say uh, that you wanted to be a sub, but ton of learning there for sure. I'm, I'm sure you learned all sorts of stuff teaching other people's classes. Yeah, it was really fun. The one day I was at our at a district's early childhood center, and then the next day I was teaching a high school calculus class. <laughs> and that was actually like, the students had a problem like, hey, Mr. Valencic, how do we do this? I was like, you know, I took calculus in high school, but I have no clue. Let me go on Twitter and see yep, if anyone can find out. out. Right, that's right, actually, right. that's that's what got me using Twitter as a professional is I put it on there and we still like, edgy Twitter was still small enough uh -huh. That like I could put it out and I had like 30 people respond instantly. They're like, 
here's what you need to tell the students. And I just, I, I displayed it up on the, like, I had a projector in the rooms so I displayed. I'm like, I have no idea what any of this means. Does <laughs> this help? And right. the kids were like, yes, we know what that means. I was like, okay, cool. Like <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Crowdsourcing. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Right, right. So so your PD was more or less non-existent at, at Freeport, sounds like, that uh, as you got there, aside from those institute days. So what did you what did you do? Because this is what I want to hear about. Like yeah. what did you do to change it? So like well, so the very first as there, our first October, we had what they were calling it was the Voice and Choice Institute Day. For the one day, they had a whole bunch of different sessions set up for PD. And then that January, the Institute Day was what you mentioned earlier. It was the a keynote speaker came in in the morning, stood on a stage, pretty much yelled at everybody in the room for like an hour and a half, <laughs> walked off the stage. We went to lunch and then you know, the teachers went back to their buildings and probably all the elementary teachers had training on guided reading again, because that seems to be the default for training for guided reading. Mm -hmm. And I knew like the PE teachers, part of my job while I was this 21st century teacher and learning coordinator, I was in the curriculum department and we realized that we didn't have anyone in the department who specifically oversaw the curriculum areas of like social studies, the specials, mm. the CTE program, which we had a math coordinator, an ELA coordinator, and a science coordinator, and then me, who was the new guy. So they were like, all right, you're the new guy. You get everything else. <laughs> right. <laughs> so like the PE teachers would come to me and they're like, Alex, we cannot sit through another training on guided reading. We have not had a chance to go through our closets and figure out what equipment actually still works and what equipment needs to be fixed. So one of the first things I was like, okay, can I carve out some time for the specials teachers to be able to meet to do this work? And we were able to do that, but that was on the school improvement days. The district institute days were still this very monolithic, Mm. Everybody does the same thing. And one of the things that I had noticed and I was able to get someone to check in, like actually find the data to support it is we had a huge number of teachers who would schedule doctor's appointments on those Institute days. Right. Yep. One, one year we had over 50 teachers in the district with scheduled absences on an Institute day. And it's like, clearly they don't see any value in this work because they use that as the day to do their doctor's appointments, wash their cars, like stay home and bounce their checkbooks because <laughs> sure. that's something people still do. Mm -hmm. So I was like, we need to make a change. And at the same time, we got a new superintendent and she came in and wanted to talk to me. And I mentioned to her that comment that was made earlier about PD that I was told, we don't do PD outside of contract hours because people won't no, come to it. And she just looked at me. She's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. How are they going to come to something if we don't offer? And I was just like, yes, exactly. <laughs> Somebody gets it. So she said, okay, this is your job. You need to reimagine how we're doing PD, like come up with a new plan and I'll support you in what you do. And then we got a new director of curriculum and instruction who came in wanting to do the same thing. So I was super fortunate that a superintendent mm -hmm. and assistant superintendent who said, let's change the PD model. This one size fits all is clearly not working. 
Freeport's a great community, but our students are stagnating. Our teachers are stagnating. Like it's, and I don't say that to be negative towards them. It's just, we weren't giving them opportunities to grow. Why are we surprised that they're not growing? There's only so many times we can sit through the exact same PD. So that, that was what inspired that change was just all of those pieces coming together and saying yeah. something's not working. What can we change? Yeah, that's not a unique situation at all. You're not insulting your school district by saying that. I mean, I think every school district was in that exact same boat five, six years ago. Especially pre-COVID, like you said. Yeah. I, I think yeah. I think maybe schools are reevaluating that a little bit more post-COVID mm-hmm. because I, I think we've all had to. You know, I think a lot of schools have had to figure out um, you know, how, how can we use our time the most effectively? Because, uh, you know, last year it was sink or swim. So you, you had to, you had to do things in an efficient manner. Uh, Alex, I, I really like that you talked about something as simple as giving your teachers time to just like clean your room. I know that sounds like s- such a silly thing, but if we are constantly asking teachers just to be on task on those days, it, it does two things. One, it never gives anyone any time to decompress and to apply their learning. But two, like you said, it leads to everybody taking personal or sick days on those days because they need those days. Right. And, and it, it can, it can be a lot to, uh, to throw at them. Um, so, so talking about your PD, you know, what kind of inspired you to make those changes? It sounds like the first thing you made a change was offering that PD after school. How did you go about doing that? How long do you offer that PD? How, you know, what's kind of the objectives that you have? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I'm actually going to backtrack a little bit because mm-hmm. it, it's how the model all fits together because we realized we wanted to have a new actual like framework for PD. And we, we realized like there's different types of professional learning that staff have. There are some things everybody has to do. Bloodborne pathogen training. Right. We all mm-hmm. have to do it. Mm-hmm. As one teacher in my district likes to say, it's really simple. If it's wet, <laughs> sticky, don't touch. But we still have to do it. Right. So we so we started making a list of the different types of professional learning. And we're like, okay, there's the stuff that everybody has to do. And we have to do it the same way. Because there's just, there are certain legal requirements. Like mandated reporter training. DCFS doesn't give us a lot of flexibility in Illinois about how that training is done. So we're like, okay, that's like our first level of professional development stuff. Everybody has to do, and they have to do it the same way. And like, but then there's this second level of, we have core goals in our district that we really focus what we're doing. We can offer different types of professional learning within those. So there's that choice within, we have four main strands in our district that we use. And then we're like, okay, so that would be giving, we have topic A, B, C, D, what are things we can fill in underneath that so that someone comes in with different levels of experience, they can pick the topic that's most relevant to them for like instructional technology, core curriculum, support services, mental health, and SEL, those are our core four. And then we said, okay, but even beyond that, that's where we want more of that after hours professional development. Mm-hmm. And we said, well, we want to make sure it's not something that they just do and then never hear about again. I have gone to a lot of conferences in the last few years, and I have I have yet to have someone give me an opportunity to come back to staff and share with them what I did at that conference. Mm-hmm. It's like you go, you do it, and it doesn't leave beyond. So we 
this last spring, we put into place what we called our professional learning cohorts. We had a couple of book studies, some inquiry groups where teachers would get together and they met every other week. So they would meet one day and then they would have two weeks to put something into practice in their classroom and then come back the next week, debrief about what worked, what didn't before learning about another step within that. So mm -hmm. they were able to take that professional learning and stretch it out over the course of about six to eight weeks. And that allowed people to take that learning, put it into practice. When we put the model together, I was like, okay, we with the teachers in our district, if I can get like 10%, which would have been like roughly 40 teachers to sign up, I was like, I will be happy because this is brand new. So if 10% of them sign up, I'll be like, great, we're, we're good to go. We had over 20% of our district signed up to participate in a professional learning cohort for something that had never wow. been done before. And That's we're impressive. like, okay, we're like, teachers are hungry for this opportunity to learn. Mm -hmm. We had some, like I said, there were some book studies, there were inquiry groups. We had, some of them were led by people in the district and some of them were led by people outside the district and they were relevant topics. The teachers told us what they wanted to do. It wasn't that I, Alex Valencic in the district office said, these are your options, pick one. Actually, I sent a survey and said, what are you guys interested in doing? Collected and we said, oh, oh there's a lot of people who wanna learn about remote learning, remote teaching, because mm -hmm. it's really relevant. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's get an elementary group and let's get a secondary group and let them dive into that. We had a group of teachers who said, we really need to learn how to like use our read aloud time more effectively. There was a lot of elementary teachers want to do it. We found a book, we found an author and said, hey, can you partner with our district and help us? And that author is like, yeah, I would love to do this. And she was able to meet with the teachers. At the end of this, the response from those teachers was overwhelming. They were like, some of them were like, this is some of the best professional learning I have had in my career. And when that came from teachers who had been in the district for over 20 years, mm -hmm. we're like, we're heading the right direction, but we need to do more because just mm -hmm. having those cohorts that was good, but we still have these Institute days that are kind of like the giant elephant in the room right. of mm -hmm. how do we change the Institute day? Yeah. Yeah. You definitely know you're on the right path when you're, most experienced teachers say, Ooh, I love this professional development. Right. Because I mean, we all know you're the older your teachers are. I don't mean to say older, the more years your teachers have under their belt is teaching, the less they want to do professional development, yeah. which I think that's, that's definitely a testament to what you're doing. So mm -hmm. what'd you do? What did you change then? So the Institute day, we looked back at the, at that October Institute day that we had had back in 2018. And we're like, why don't we do this again? So we, as a curriculum team, and I want to make clear, I mean, it definitely was not me alone. We was definitely working with the curriculum team. Mm -hmm. we, we, we still wanted to have a keynote speaker, but we created a whole bunch of sessions for the entire day. Again, aligned to those four core strands of professional learning that were goals for our district improvement. We had sessions for instructional technology that were things from like, Nearpod for beginners, introduction mm -hmm. to Flipgrid, because teachers were told they were gonna be able to use that. We got some of the people from Learning Technology Center of Illinois to come in and lead some of our sessions. And the whole thing that we did January, it was a virtual event because of COVID, sure. but we had sessions on social emotional learning and mental health, sessions on core curriculum and innovation, 
sessions on our support services, special education teachers who came and said, wait, you have something specifically for special education teachers? And we're like, yeah, you need training on how to do your jobs more effectively. And we created this, that January Institute Day, the previous year, as, as I said, we had had over 50 absences. We had five absences for mm -hmm. that January Institute Day. Three of them had been planned. Two of them were, one of them was a teacher's husband had to get rushed to the hospital that morning. And the other one like had a sick child. Mm -hmm. So we're like, all right, you know, talk about results. Going right. from a huge number of teachers who were just like, nah, this isn't worth my while to everybody was there. We had members of our school board who came and joined in the professional learning with staff. I had teachers in one of the departments I was working with, I met with them about a week before the event and she said, I have a question. What do I do if there's two sessions going on at the same time and I want to attend both of them? And I was like, you pick one and ask a friend to go to the other and you get together and compare notes. Mm -hmm. And someone's like, what if I just open up one on my computer and one on my phone and I just record the sessions and I watch them <laughs> later. And it's like, okay, officially I have to tell you that we're not allowed to record sessions uh -huh. because we have outside presenters, but I don't know what you're going to be doing. So right. like, so that again, is like teachers were saying you have too many good things going on. Yeah. That's awesome. That was our awesome change for Institute day. But I gotta say we didn't stop there. And that's what has made me like so super excited about breaking away from this one size fits all PD. We created after school learning outside contract hours. We changed our Institute days. The third thing we realized was that over the summer, building principals would be scheduling professional development for their staff all summer long. Mm -hmm. Staff would just like, it seemed like they were constantly being asked to come back for different PD. So I, I said, Hey, what if we just take a week in June and we're going to put all of our professional learning together in one week, we'll do like four days and let's just put it all together. And then we'll do it again in August. And that way, everything in between, there's no PD going on. Teachers will actually get their summer to process, absorb, right. to recover from a year and a half of COVID teaching. Mm -hmm. So this last uh, couple of weeks ago, in the beginning of June, we did our summer institute where we had over 200 staff members sign up for sessions over the course of four days. Members of our school board came. We had keynote speakers. They were lunching. So we were able to pay our teachers. We gave them the professional development hours. We fed them lunch and we had these sessions for them. And again, I had a teacher who 30 some years in the district was like, this is the best professional learning I've ever had in my life. And she said, and I've gone to ISTE. And it's like, wow. Okay. She just said we're better than ISTE. So I will take that as a win. Yeah. And well, that's what we're going to title this episode too. Yeah. <laughs> better than ISTE. Better than ISTE. That's awesome, man. And and then what's cool to me is that for starters, you know, your district trusting you. And I think that's so important for districts, uh, especially going forward. You know, we talk a lot about like things we want to see change. And I just hope more districts trust their staff members because your district trusted you to do that job. And, and you did it, you know, and, and, and again, like you said, you had a team, but trusting those people, you put good people in that place and let them do their thing. I think that's amazing. Um, and, and the other thing I like is that 
you were taking that feedback from teachers, which again, I think is so important because as you said, we can sit and talk guided reading until the cows come home. There's nothing wrong with that. But at some point we either have to apply it and reflect, or we need to figure out what other people want. Cause otherwise those sessions just become redundant. We're doing the same thing over and over and over. So uh, kudos to you guys, man, that is some cool stuff. Um, so for other school districts that are going to, you know, other teachers that are hearing this and they have a chance. And I think next year is the best time to make these PD changes because we're coming from the pandemic and school is different. And we have these skills that are developed that we can use in whatever way we see fit. So for districts that want to follow your lead or they want to rethink PD on their scale, you know, what would your suggestion be? How would you get started with something like that? I'd say the first thing is kind of taking that model I described, we call it our branching growth model. Just take the different kinds of PDs teachers need and categorize into what is the stuff that we have to do the same way for every person and really find a way to get that done quickly. There are mm -hmm. so many online modules out there. You don't have to have staff members get together on that first institute day and come together and have the principal stand in front of everyone in the library reading through DCFS training. You can right. give it to them. And you know, you, you mentioned like how the district trusted me to lead this work. I think the other part is trust the teachers to participate and right. do the work. I had right. some people, they asked me like, well, what if people sign up for sessions and it's virtual so they don't show up? I said, you know what, they may do that, but that's on them. Right. They're the yeah. ones missing out on the learning. And when they come back to work and they hear their colleagues talking about things, they're gonna realize that they missed out. But we mm -hmm. trusted our staff to show up and they did. They showed yeah. up in droves. They didn't find excuses to not be there. So it's just like start with just categorizing what is and figure out what can you give voice and choice in. Like instructional technology, even using like the Google workspace, I think is what they're calling it now, right? <laughs> yeah. They like changed yeah. the name for well. like the fourth time, I think in a year. <laughs> right. But like, you know, some people have been using it forever. They don't need introduction to right. Gmail. Right. Someone else, like, I mean, I will go all the way back to my time when I was in the classroom. I was also an instructional technology specialist for my building. My district had transitioned from using Microsoft to Google. And I was like, oh, this is great. I can do all sorts of PD on these great things with Google. And my principal was like, Alex, we have teachers who can't figure out how to open their attachments now. Right. I was like, what do you mean? It's Gmail. Like you have an attachment, you yeah. click on it. That's all you do. She said, just... I need you to show them how to open their attachments. So I went to my staff and like my colleagues and it's like, okay, real quick, using Gmail, attachments are super easy. All you do is click on it and it opens. And the teacher raised her hand and said, Alex, you did that too fast. I need you to do it again. Mm -hmm. I thought she was messing with me, but right. she was serious because she had zero experience. She needed that slow hand holding PD but someone like me, I would have been losing my mind if I had right. to sit through something. Right. So I think that's the thing districts can do is find out what your staff need and offer it. And if you can't find people in your district to do it, there are people in the community who do it. A lot of our external presenters, we paid them a stipend for doing it. And they were like, wait, you're going to pay me to do this? But I like talking about this. Like, I just want right. to because I want to help other people. Right. So. There are districts who they will help out. But if you can use some of that money that we're getting from the federal government, 
use that to pay your presenters. Right. So yeah. I think those are some of those really simple things. It's just ask staff what they need and yeah. just give it to them. <laughs> it seems so simple. I mean, just find out what they want and just give them what they want. It sure does. Yeah. And it's never that simple. And the fact that, that you had administrators that were supporting this idea is huge. I know we said that, but I mean, it yeah. does have to start at the top and work its way down for sure. And it, and, and I get it. It's, it's hard, you know, because especially post COVID, I think everybody is in this, this very difficult situation where, uh, you know, some schools, Hey, let's go back to normal, put the Chromebooks away. Hey, let's not go back to normal. Let's change. Let's do this. And, um, you know, it just comes down to that trust. I think if you have that trust, man, you can do some really cool stuff. Yeah. So what's, what's coming up? What's the future look like for you guys? Are you, are you making more changes or what are you thinking? Oh, we're kind of, we're now at a point where we want to keep building this, what we have. So mm -hmm. we have the week of August 2nd to 5th, we're doing our second summer Institute and it, it's going to be different from the June one because it's the getting ready for the coming school year. So that's where we're taking a lot of that, like that training that we need staff to do. We said, look, we're not doing it in July. We're going to do it the first week of August. So we really need you to come in. We can't force you to, but we put it in this week to give you all that other time to free it up for you. Right. So we've got that. We're really looking at expanding those learning cohorts. We only had a handful of them this last spring. We want to get more of those. Uh, my my big picture vision, and I know like I've, I've shared with my my superintendent and our CNI director, and they're both on board, is we want this Freeport Summer Institute to become a regional Northern Illinois, Southern mm -hmm. Wisconsin conference where we can invite other people to come in. Yeah. Freeport School District is the largest district in our regional, like our region up here in mm -hmm. Northern Illinois. Mm -hmm. All our other districts are really small and we have the resources. We have enough staff with that talent. So we want to be able to invite them, bring them in. But then it's also kind of taking this message on the road, taking it to conferences and sharing with right. other people. So people know what's going on in Pretzel City, USA. And yeah. and also, if you know, try to bring people into our district. Like there's definitely yeah. that, you know, we want to bring in people to work in our district to be a part of this work and not just kind of come learn with us and then go back. But perhaps writing a book. Oh, well, maybe. Because mm -hmm. I would uh, read that. Mm -hmm. Just throwing that out. The uh, the conference idea, that's actually where I thought you were headed because it, it does sound like that's where this is going with your two very specific early and, and late. Um, and B, you're at a great spot. You pull people from Chicago. You could pull people yep. from southern Wisconsin. I know there's a ton of of great people from Wisconsin that would come down and and people from central and southern Illinois. I would come up for a conference for sure. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's awesome. That sounds great, Alex. I think you guys have got it like figure it out and if you've got teachers to buy in and you've got administrators to buy in uh like there's not much else you need absolutely really. alex just a quick question about the buy-in thing so talking about getting your teachers on board was there anything special that you did to kind of promote this amongst the staff and the faculty or was it kind of like a field of dreams scenario where if you build it they will come so it's funny you mentioned field of dreams because that's uh, I use that. I wrote a blog post about this and I called it the field of dreams principle because right. it very much was like, we, we told people what we were doing and our teachers union, they definitely, they helped promote it. Like our, our union president, she went to the union members and she said, you guys, we have been asking the district to do this for years. They're mm -hmm. doing it. You need to show up because right. if we don't show up, they're not going to do it again. 
So right. that really helped that like the union, they're like, yes, this is what we've been saying we want. But we did, I mean, the promotion, we didn't do a whole lot more than that. I mean, for our, this summer Institute, we did do gift card giveaways as people were registering. And then we'd send out an email to all staff and say, hey, just for registering for this event, 10 people got gift cards to local restaurants. We had gift basket giveaways that we told people, hey, you go to a session, you get a raffle ticket. You can put it for any of these baskets and we're going to do a drawing on the last day. So we did have those prizes and incentives, but sure. honestly, most of it was just, we yeah. said, we're doing this. We want you to come join us and let's see what happens. And it was totally like a, if you build it, they will come. And they came in a way like, like I said, we hoped for 10% and we had way more than that. Yeah, and that's awesome. It, I always cry at the end of Field of Dreams, just FYI. Yeah, um, he has a catch time. with his dad. Oh, my God. Cry every single time. Um, so I'm actually getting a little emotional as we talk. And about when this. and when James <laughs> Earl Jones chooses oh, and he, yes. to step over and save yes. that child, and says, it's a hot dog. Uh -huh. And that was my James Earl Jones impression, well, that, by the way. That wasn't James Earl Jones, though. That was, uh, Doc, that was uh, Moonlight Graham who stepped over. Right, yeah. James Earl Jones then went later. Right, he walked out into the corn. I'm just, I'm just, I don't, I don't mean to correct you. I just, am I wrong? It wasn't James Earl Jones didn't save. It was the doc. It was the doctor that's. Isn't he a doctor in that movie? No, he's a writer in that movie. Can we edit this yes. out? No, yeah. we can't. It's this is going in. It's the, fine. I don't care. <laughs> James, James Earl Jones is the author who yeah. uses his like oh, bug that's, spray. I knew that. that's He's right. like, no, he sprays right. and he's like, back. Back, that's back right. to the 60s. How do I not know that? Right. Do, you yeah, I James, right. do you want me to do more James Earl Jones impressions? Yeah, Simba, should. everything the light touches is ours. Is that pretty good? That's Lion King. That was it. Shout I mean, out to I, my niece, Lily. She's uh, she's two, loves the Lion King. I think one of the greatest things James Earl Jones ever did, aside from Star Wars, was his episode on the Big Bang Theory. Yeah, it was awesome. If you remember that, that's a great they runs into him at like a coffee shop or something. And I'm going to stop talking like about a party it animal. Cause anything I say, it might be wrong now. No, I think you're right. I just, uh, it was moonlight Graham. Just, it is moonlight Graham. Now that you say it, it's been a few years. It has been, that's okay. I live with uh, all girls, so we don't, we don't watch baseball or anything. <laughs> so they don't care. We actually visited the field of dreams a couple summers ago and it that's was awesome. amazing. Yeah. I got to throw pitches. <clears throat> it was pretty cool. Okay. Um, I, I just have to point out though, field dreams. Like it's the little girl who realizes that they're playing baseball first. So yes, your right. girls absolutely need to watch that movie. Like they it's do. just, that is a great point. That's your assignment. Like this weekend, you got to do it. Just sit them down and watch the movie. That's what's going to happen. Make sure, sure none of them choke it. on a hot dog. Yeah, <laughs> and make sure I know the the correct characters. Yeah. I'll be saying instead of Kevin Costner, I'll be like, "That's Bill Pullman from Twister, right, kids." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh. So, uh, one quick question before we go on to the last little things. Do you, and I'm going to put you on the spot for a second, Alex. Do you know the story behind the pretzels, like where the yeah. mascot came from? I I don't know so, it. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. So, what I didn't know is that uh, several years ago, they were the Freeport Shamrocks. And at some point they decided to rebrand and Freeport was one of those communities that had a lot of like German immigrants who settled mm. it. And awesome. supposedly I haven't been able to confirm, but supposedly there used to be like a pretzel factory around here somewhere. Huh. So they decided kind of the tribute to the German ancestry. They renamed as the pretzels and 
a year and a half ago or slightly more than that, I met with some of the reps with our chamber of commerce about a completely different thing that somehow I got like thrown into because of my job title, people had completely misunderstand my role in the district. So I got to meet with like people with like really high government roles and I'm like, oh yeah, I, I don't actually decide anything, but hey, I will meet with you. I am and, not your guy. Yeah. No, yeah. But I met with them, I was like, hey, by the way, we're Pretzel City USA and we don't do a pretzel fest. What's up with that? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we, we've kind of like talked about maybe sort of, maybe we should do that. This last year they did their first pretzel fest and I was in Ohio visiting family that weekend. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I missed the thing. It was totally my idea. Yeah. But yeah, yeah the, the pretzels was just part of a rebranding. But it is funny that our school colors are orange and black now. But right. if you come to our middle school, there's still lots of green everywhere from the shamrocks. Interesting. And yeah. they didn't replace it. So the middle school is like green, orange, and black, which, mm -hmm. by the way, are awful color combination. Like, yes. But it's a lot That's of money to redo tile in a school. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's really interesting. Um, all right. So what we're working on, this is our, our second to last little section here. So Dave, I'm gonna let you go first. What yep. what have you been working on? It's um it's it's less of a professional goal, more of a personal <laughs> goal. Uh, this past Friday on the Nintendo Switch, Mario Golf came out, and uh, it is fantastic. And there's there's a lot of hate online about it right now. That people are complaining about the features that are not in the game. But I say enjoy the game for what it is because it is fun. And my wife and I have been staying up late playing this game. And um, it is fantastic. Get it for the Switch. My daughter also loves it. So it's uh, fun for all ages. That's what I've been working on. Not a professional thing. I am soap it out right now. And uh, so I am in partaking of some Mario Golf. Yeah. Uh, so Alex, what are you working on at this point? So in addition to all the professional learning stuff I do in my school district, uh, several months ago, I threw my name in the hat to help with the Illinois Education Technology Conference Committee. And they accepted me. So... I'm involved in helping plan IETC 21 this November in Springfield, Illinois. Got to put that plug out there for anyone, you know, come be there. I think Adam's going to be there. Absolutely. I'm definitely going to be there. Well, lots of good people. Dave, you going to be there? Uh, that's my plan. <laughs> it's one of my favorite conferences. I, I don't go to a lot. I go to like three or four a year. Uh, right. Normally, in normal year, I go to three or four year. Um, this one I love. It's like a, I don't know the best way to describe it. It's like a, it's like an ed tech nerd fest, mm -hmm. but like with some of the most fun people that you could ever run into. So it, if you have a, the opportunity, it's a good time. It is. It's in Springfield, um, right around, like right before Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's November 17th to the 19th. Yeah. It's actually the kickoff of deer season. Uh, so, oh. it's, it's, so in case I, I don't hunt, but, uh, mm -hmm. somebody told me that because I had invited them to go with me and, uh, they told me they couldn't go. So, uh, shout <laughs> out to deer, Gary. Gary won't listen to this, but Gary, I'm thinking about you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Just being honest, he won't listen. So, yeah. uh, so IETC, but, if you are, uh, available at the end or in middle of November, you need to come all of about, you. Listening. What about you, Adam? Four of you. On? Yeah, sorry. I, I, uh, right now it's, it's funny. This last like three or four things that I've been working on have all been related to the Gameably gamification app. So right now, as you mentioned, Dave, you're SOPA'd out uh, for Illinois tech folks. I'm sure that you know about the SOPA law that's going into effect 
from the point where we're recording this in a in two days or a day and a half. And um, so in order to be compliant with SOPA, you have to make sure you have agreements with all of the ed tech companies and the vendors and stuff that you right. that you work with that take student per, uh, person identifiable information and Gameably is one of those, and I don't want to have to sign any agreements with anybody. So I'm rebuilding the back end um, so that students can still create accounts without any personal information, no email address, no names or anything like that. And they can still join classes and teachers can have access to their stuff. So obviously that's totally up to the users to make sure that they use it correctly to not give me any professional information or personal information, right. but I'm building that in so I don't have to give um, SOPA agreements to all the schools who want to use it. So, and I know Alex, we talked a while back about um, using Gameably for for professional development or uh, you know for whatever you guys want to use it for. And I didn't have my terms of service. I didn't have my my privacy policy in place yet. Um, and so you were my inspiration for getting all of that taken care of. So I appreciate you. And Shout your, out to Alex. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and and if you are hearing this and it's like a month after SOPA compliance has happened and something has changed, which it could change, mm -hmm. then you might be saying, why are these guys even talking about this? Because no one understands the law anyway. So right. there's that. Yeah. Or or we may be in jail by that point. We may all not have jobs. SOPA police may have come down and arrested mm -hmm. all of us for what doing our jobs correctly. Um, or but, not. Who knows? Or not. Right. Who knows? So that's a fun thing to be excited it's, about. It is a good time. Yep. Um, so, uh, what are we drinking? Well, uh, sh shout out to Trader Joe's again. Let's get that sponsorship well, with this podcast new. here. Yeah. Trader Joe's has a fantastic coffee. It is called the, uh, select blend. And so this coffee actually has some, uh, some African coffee and then some Colombian coffee and it's mixed together. Ooh. And if you, if you do not drink African coffee, anything from, from Africa, it is legitimately the best coffee on the planet. And everybody thinks they go Columbia or they mm -hmm. go somewhere else to get that right. coffee. But I'm telling you, it's the soil there. It's a really cool process that they do to harvest the beans and, and to grow their coffee bean. Uh, but it is hands down the best. Uh, my, my wife and I have been getting African coffee for a long time. And it is awesome. Make sure it's free trade. So it's supporting those yep. farmers. But Trader Joe's is definitely doing that. And uh, uh, yeah, it's my, my favorite coffee. And that's what I'm drinking. I was drinking. I polished it off so at 9 30 at night i drank a yeah, humongous cup of coffee so we'll be playing mario golf <laughs> yeah, here in about 40 right. minutes so. I'll just say, not going to bed anytime soon what about you alex so it's funny so i don't really drink a lot of caffeinated beverages like i don't drink coffee at all which i know dave's like what like brain exploding at the idea but like I'm education just, man come yeah, on i know but like so but no, Taco Bell has their Mountain Dew Baja Blast, and I don't understand nice. why anyone ever gets anything else at Taco Bell because it's like the only drink you should get. Well, Mountain Dew has started like creating a lot more flavors, and mm -hmm. they have more flavors of Mountain Dew Baja. So my wife and I saw at the store, it's the Mountain Dew Baja Punch, which mm -hmm. is pretty much nice. their Baja Blast with a bit of like tropical punch, which like I'm drinking, I'm like, I'm not really quite sure what the difference is because Baja Blast <laughs> is already kind of a tropical right, punch, right. but it's orange. So that's that a makes difference. it different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're going to tweet bad. this at Taco Bell, Mountain yeah. Dew, Trader yeah. Joe's. Come on, guys. Yeah. Let's get this sponsorship. Yeah. I'll tell you, it's the one, bad, one thing I love to get at Taco Bell is their mango tea or something like that. It's some it's kind of stuff. weird mango tea. I don't know. But uh, that looks good. That is a pretty bright orange. That's a bright orange, man. I like it. It matches your school colors. Absolutely. Sure. 
<laughs> I, I'm going to date myself here, but my favorite thing that I used to do back in the day is we would go to St. Louis for concerts and coming back, there's a Taco Bell on the way home. And we used to get Frito burritos all the time after that. Cause that was the mm. only place that would be open yep. past like 11 o'clock at night. So you'd go hit that up after a concert. Good times. <laughs> I, uh, I'm boring and I'm drinking IBC cream soda. Still, we are still, this has almost been like a month. And we are still trying to get through these cream soda cases. Um, my my son worked at a uh, mm -hmm. festival in town, and he was paid in cases of IBC cream yeah. soda. So I have that unique are, bartering system through. there. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> he was so excited. Uh, all right. So, Alex, how do people get in touch with you? Because I know that everybody's going to want to, for one, follow you on Twitter. Because 100%. if you follow Alex on Twitter, he has obviously great tweets, great retweets, and your pictures of your tie knots. <laughs> And I'm legit. sorry it took us this long to get there. Uh, and I should have made some sort of pretzel pun, but I didn't. I don't know how I didn't do that. But anyway, um, your knots are amazing. So mm -hmm. very impressive. But, uh, yeah, definitely following me on Twitter. It's Alex T. Valencic. It's, you know, if you don't know how to spell it, it's okay. If you like, if you get close, it's one of those names that's unique enough that you're going to find up. me anyway. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, like I Google myself every now and then. I'm like, yep, I'm still the only Alex T. Valencic in the world. So we're good to go. So that's good though, man. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's definitely the best way to get a hold of me. You know, if someone's not on Twitter and they're just like not gonna do it, I'm like, you really should get on Twitter. But right. if not, they can email me. You know, my Gmail is alex.t.valencic at gmail.com. Don't actually have to use the periods. I learned that a few years ago. Mm -hmm. The periods are like totally made up in Gmail accounts, but yep. But it works. Uh, and we'll throw links to both of those in the show mm -hmm. notes for sure. 100%. Yeah. All right. So, Alex, we will uh, we will see you again soon in November. I know that's not that far away. It's probably going to be here before we know it. Um, but we're excited that you were able to come and hang out and chat with us tonight. So you've got a great story. And I think uh, a lot of districts can can take your ideas and run with them. So thanks so much Absolutely. for spending the time. Yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks. Alex. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. It's been a lot of fun. Good. So we'll we'll definitely have you on as things change. Um, you know, and we like I said, Dave and I are both uh, in always in the process of changing our own professional development systems. We're at two smaller school districts, um, so we don't necessarily have the giant challenge. Uh, but sometimes a smaller school district is just as much of a challenge. So mm -hmm. uh, not not to twist anybody's arms, but that's what we sometimes have to do uh but anyway or, or we, pretzel their arms or pretzel nice there <laughs> it is out, Alex. thank you there it is yeah. uh we uh you can find us uh here at the edtech distilled podcast on all mm -hmm. of the places that you find podcasts the google podcast which is a recommendation to go first but then you could go to apple Podcasts and give us a review we need those uh to help us uh continue to grow our listeners mm -hmm. you can find us on edtechdistilled.com you can join the website there and then all the other places spotify and pandora and all that stuff uh, so again thanks for listening alex one more time thanks for being with us tonight we appreciate it dave thanks for sticking around i'm adam and we will see you on the next episode thanks again guys mm -hmm.